Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. going to now preach to you for a few minutes. I've got a, a thought that I want to give to you out of Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Um, we will, I won't take the time to read through the 31 verses in total. Um, I would encourage you, if you have a few minutes, maybe after we preach through this or sometime this week, uh, it's, a, it's one of those psalms, if you'll meditate on it, I hope I can give you a thought that will give you something to guide your meditation on it. It, it'll actually do something for your heart. Um, this psalm is called the Psalm of the Cross. Uh, the Psalm of the Cross. If you read it, and a lot of modern um, commentators want to read it and try to simply point out the human psalmist's lament that is underneath it, try to tie it to some action in David's life or something like that, because I believe it was written by Psalm or by David. But the reality of it is that this psalm isn't about David. This psalm is not about any human, not, not another man. It can't help but be seen as being voiced by anybody other than Jesus Christ himself. So this psalm, while I, I recognize, I want to acknowledge, yes, God used a man to write this. David likely was that man. But he is, it's very prophetic in that at the time it was written, Christ had not come, but it was looking forward to what Jesus would be doing on the cross. Charles Spurgeon, the, the um, famous Baptist preacher from a few generations ago, he actually thought that Jesus might, he said he's not going to be dogmatic about it, but he said, I think maybe Jesus might have been quoting this on the cross. His reasoning for that is if you look at the opening lines of, the, of the, the psalm, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You'll recognize that is actually one of Jesus' sayings on the cross, one of the things he said on the cross. And then if you go to the very end in verse 31, the King James Version says that they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. And here's what they say that he hath done this. And if, that, if you boil down essentially what's being said there is, it is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. Which also you should recognize is one of the sayings that Jesus had on the cross, actually his very last saying on the cross. Starting and ending with what Jesus said on the cross. So I, I could see where Brother Spurgeon might have gotten that from. I could see that and I could understand it. I, again, to his credit, he's not being dogmatic, and neither will I, but I could appreciate that. But I'm bringing this psalm to you because I know that a lot of the people that are hearing my voice and that, that do every Sunday, right now particularly, but even just life in general, we're enduring some pretty difficult times. There are physical pains, there's illnesses that some people are enduring. I'm thinking about uh, the couple of folks that I can see their faces because they've got the pictures around here that are missing from our gatherings, but they're enduring cancer treatments right now. I think about some that are enduring 
other kinds of pains that maybe they aren't talking about as much, but they're very, they're very much hurting. There's others of you that are, losing, that are, that are, that are feeling the, the difficulty, that are enduring the difficulty of, of loss. You're losing material possessions. You don't have as much as you used to have and maybe even feel like it's been taken from you. There's others that are feeling shame and rejection. There's a lot of us who are feeling abandoned by God, even starting to question your faith a little bit. And I want to at least acknowledge that every one of those things are very real feelings. You're not silly, you're not weird, you're not unusual. These are very real feelings. But I also want to remind you of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4, 15. All that's to simply say, and I want to show you this from this psalm, that Jesus knows exactly what you are dealing with. He knows exactly what you are feeling. He feels what you are feeling, and he understands it in a way, well, nobody else can. He understands it probably deeper than you even understand it. He's actually experienced what you've gone through and what you're going through. He is our high priest, and he has been touched with our infirmities. I want to take just a moment to pray, and then we'll begin looking at Psalm 22 and understanding how Jesus has been touched with our infirmities. Let's pray. Father, please speak your word to your people. Remind them, please remind them that you know where they are and that you love them. Please remind them that you felt every feeling that they're feeling, that you are you have been troubled in the same ways. And please, Lord, drive them into your throne room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 1, this is word for, more, word for word, what Jesus says on the cross. You could find this exactly in Matthew chapter 27, in verse 46. Jesus is crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. In Jesus' deepest moment of need, and I can't imagine there's ever a deeper moment of need, you, are, you have just been through a mock trial you have been abused in every possible way. You've now been physically beaten. You are bloody and bare. Given enough time, you'd probably die simply from blood loss from the position you're in. He's now been nailed to a cross, violently heaved up, jolting. In fact, you'll see in just another place where it says that his body, his bones are all out of joint. He's got to be racked with pain. And on top of all of that, there's a spiritual aspect, an emotional component here that you can't miss, is that Jesus has now not only endured that physical pain, but he has on himself the sins of the entire world. He is standing completely, completely covered with our sins, meaning that he is holding them. He is 
acting as if he is responsible for them. If you ever needed somebody, it would be in that moment. And he's hanging between heaven and earth with the sins of the world on himself, looking up to his father, the one that said that he loved, the one that he loved his father and the father loved him. The one that, that said, he says, Jesus says of himself in another place, he says that he and his father are one. I mean, there was, there was a unity there. There was a, a desire, a love, a, a compassion for each other, a, a, a closeness that you and I can't even imagine. Yet you know, when he looks up at his God and he, his father and he needs some help right now, he sit, looks up and he's rejected by the father. To make matters worse, this was actually part of the plan. Isaiah 53 tells me that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord. Again, I, I, I can't even imagine being rejected at all, but not only to be rejected, but it actually being a good thing. The Father looking at that as what he's planned to do. And in 1 Peter, he even says in 1 Peter 1.20, he was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world that God loved, John 3.16, he loved the world so much that he gave his son. That here Jesus is taking all of that on himself, and not only is he being rejected by God, but he's being rejected as part of the plan. I mean, I get a little upset when my prayers aren't answered immediately. I get a little upset when I'm in a, a bit of a pickle and maybe I have a few, I'm a few dollars short on something. I, may, I get a little upset when my car won't start. I get upset when things go a little awry for me. But here, could you imagine that the God of the universe, when you cry out to him, I need your help. You have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his back on his son, and he poured out his wrath on his son. And that was the plan. You might feel abandoned right now. And I didn't. Again, I'm not trying to undermine your feelings, because those are real feelings for real people. But I want you to know that Jesus knows abandonment. He really knows abandonment. He knows it in a way that none of us can even understand. He's been there. He knows it. He also not only was abandoned by God, but he was rejected by humanity. If you go in verse 6, he says, But I am a worm and no man. Now we know that Jesus was a human. He came in this world. He was God, but he took on the form of a man. But he says here that I am a worm, essentially being I'm treated as less than human. And again, I'm not trying to take anything away from the humanity of Christ because that's not the point of this. This is poetic language simply to make the point that he was being treated as if he was less than human, as being subhuman. And I can tell you, if you, you know much about the crucifixion process, there's no way you could do that to another human being unless you made them less than human. That's the only way you could, uh, you could as, as one of those soldiers, you have to look at them as something less than human. And he says, I'm a worm, I'm no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. You don't crucify good people. You don't crucify nice people. You don't crucify the guys from the good neighborhood. You crucify the bad guys. You crucify the wicked. You crucify the down and out. You crucify the dregs of society. That's why they would do that. He'd become less than human. And then look at what they said in verse 7. And all they that see me laugh me to scorn. 
They shoot out the lip. And that, that's a phrase simply, it could, be, it could be interpreted in our day and age, everything from making a vulgar hand signal to them to, to saying ugly things to them. The point is that they are literally using their bodies and their mouths and their words to say things and to, to communicate uh, dis- disgust and disdain for him. They shake their heads saying, look what they say. Verse 8, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he is delighted in him. <laughs> they say, listen, you trusted in God, let him deliver you. This is the way it was actually said in Matthew chapter 27. It says, he saved others, this is what people were saying of Jesus on the cross. He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now and if he will have him. And these kinds of just terrible things. I mean, just being, they were clearly rejecting him. They were mocking him. They were hurting him. I mean, he's physically hurt enough. Now they're trying to insult him. They're trying to take away his, his dignity. And this is said by people that Jesus came to help, that he came to save. Every one of those people that were saying these things, that were mocking him in this way, he was shedding his blood to save them from eternal damnation he knew rejection from loved ones he knew the shame of being abused he knew these things and again i do not take away your shame of being abused take away your rejection of those that love you because i recognize at least acknowledge that those things are terrible terrible things but i want you to hear that you're not alone in that our savior has felt that he knows what that is like. He knew that for you. His body was broken as his, shed, his blood was shed. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. I don't know if you ever felt weak as water. You ever felt that way? I think that's the idea that he's talking about. You ever poured out water, especially if it's on dry ground, you pour it out just like it just disappears. It just, that's, that's the idea. Is he's weak like water. He says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. This is not figurative language. If we understand the crucifixion, his bones were probably truly out of joint. But what is being communicated here is not just that his bones are out of joint, but that he is almost as if, as if every bone in his body is standing out as an isolated, because right now as I'm standing here, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable standing here. I, I couldn't tell you, I mean, if I had to think about it, I could tell you where each bone was, but it's just, I'm, I'm a fluid person, you understand. That's just how it's supposed to work. But he's saying, every one of my bones, it's like it's standing out distinct, and I feel it, and it hurts. It's almost as if every bone in his body was just racked with pain. And he goes on in verse 14 to say, as my heart is like wax. He's not just in physical pain in his muscles and his, and his bones and in his joints, but it's actually creating inside of him fear. And the pain is kind of making him melt on the inside. I've never been here, so I'm only speaking of what I've read and heard others speak of, but some of you know exactly how this is. To be so much in pain that you're so afraid that the next breath means you're going to die. You're so close 
to you just know you're so close to death that's what's going on here and, and, and the human body is one that that that, that that's, will fight for life so so you so you are there knowing you're about to die and you don't want to die and you're afraid and you're scared because the pain is just sending you a signal that says you're gonna die son that's what he's feeling there He's got no strength. He's got no stamina, no ability to resist or fight back. That's what he says there, that it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He's got no stamina, no nothing. He really felt this very real, very debilitating pain. Some of y'all know that kind of pain, the kind of pain that makes it hard to get out of bed in the morning. The kind, of, kind of, the kind of pain that makes it hard to even walk around the house. Some of y'all know that kind of pain, that you're short of breath when you just try to go from one end of the house or one, room, one end of a room to another. You know that kind of pain. I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly what you feel. He understands what that kind of pain does to your emotions. He knows what that kind of pain does to your body. He understands that. To make matters worse, in verse 18, they take part of my, they take the part, excuse me, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Jesus didn't have a whole lot in this world. If you go back to look at the Gospels, when Jesus was here, he didn't have a whole lot. He even says in one place he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. But one thing he did have was apparently he had a, a reasonably nice set of clothes. Don't know that it was the best in the world, but it was a decent set of clothes. This vesture. The story goes that it was such a finely woven piece of fabric that the soldiers who took it from him didn't want to separate it. Normally that's what they would have done, taken something, just rip it into four parts, five parts, however many people there were. You can have this, you can have this, this, that. But they said, no, it's such a nice piece. It's one piece. Let's gamble. Let's see who gets the, the, better, the better lot, and we'll let him win it if he wants to. That way we don't have to tear it up. But what they did was, here's a man who had ver virtually nothing to begin with. They take it from him. Do understand that these are his clothes. So to take his clothes from him means what? He doesn't have anything on. As best as I can understand, I understand we have the paintings and there's some modesty that's involved in the paintings of, the, of our Jesus on the cross, and I understand what we're trying to do with that. But if we think about the reality of the moment, here he is stripped naked of everything that he had. They took his minimal belongings and they divvied it up among themselves like a bunch of vultures. Jesus knows what it's like for some of you who are without right now. There may be some of you, and, 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 and we have some modern conveniences. I understand that. There's a lot of things that we may have now that they didn't have then, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people in our midst that aren't going hungry, don't have enough to eat. That doesn't mean that there aren't many of us who don't have some of the luxuries of life. That doesn't mean that there might even be some among us that are listening in that don't even have a steady place to lay your head. Jesus knew all about that. He knows exactly what it was to be, what it was to be without. In a way that some of us don't even understand. But he does. He does. Now, through all of this, all these circumstances, 
want you to pay attention to what Jesus is doing. In verse 1, my God, my God, who's he calling on? He's calling on the Father. Verse 10, what does he say in verse 10? I was cast upon thee from the womb, talking to God, talking to the Father. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. He calls on the Lord. He trusts the Father. He's trusting the Father for the help that he needs. Go down to verse 19. Be not thou far from me, O Lord. My strength haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword. He's waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on his Father. And because he calls on the Father, because he trusts in the Father, because he waits on the Father, go to verse 31. Look at what they do. I already mentioned this verse, but I want you to see this. There's going to come a point when they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Simply to say, there's going to be, that because of what Jesus did, he defeated, defeated sin, hell in, the de hell in the grave. He was declared victor victorious on the cross. He could say, as he did in, in John 19, it is finished. Yes, he was speaking about the fact that his life was at an end, absolutely. But there was a deeper meaning to his, his mention of it being finished. He was actually saying all of the death, all of the sin, all of the torment, all of these things, there will come an end to that. It no longer has to be. I have accomplished it. I have done it. It is done. He knew our pain. He knew our suffering. He knew our emotional distress. But he also knows victory. And he secured that victory with his own blood, with his own, own flesh. And you know what victory looks like? I want you to do this, if you don't mind. If you've got a Bible, I hope you've been following along, but would you go back to Hebrews for just a minute? Go over to the book of Hebrews. I, I read a verse to you at the beginning, Hebrews chapter 4. I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. He says there in verse 15, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So I've tried to make the point to you from, he, or from Psalm 22 that Jesus knows what you're feeling, right? That's what, the, that's what Hebrews says. He knows where you are. He's felt what you're feeling. But go down to the next verse, verse 16. Let us therefore, because he knows what we're feeling, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you see that there? Do you see? Do you see what it means? Do you see what it means to have victory? Do you see that? It means going to God. Because Jesus knows you're suffering, because he's been touched with your infirmities, you already have victory. So let us come boldly unto him for our needs. You see, Jesus suffered so that you could access the throne room of God. You understand that's what the cross does. It breaks down these walls of partition. Without Jesus, you could cry to God all day long, and you might as well be talking to that back wall back there. 
but because Jesus has suffered, he bled, he died on the cross. Of course, we know that he was also buried and he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Because of the gospel, that door to the throne room of God is now open. And you know, you might feel abandoned. You might feel rejected and shamed. You might feel in physical agony. Some of you are. You might feel like you either have lost it all or on the verge of losing it all. You might say, I need some of that victory. Well then, what, is that, what does that verse 16 say? What does it say? It says, come boldly into the throne of grace. Or th- the th- come boldly into the throne of grace. That we can find grace to help when? In the time of need. If you're in need this morning... I can't think of a better place to go but to the throne room of the sovereign God of the universe. And because Jesus has felt your pain, because he has understood that, he's now open, he swung wide the door so you can then enter in. Some of you need a mercy, you need a break. Lord, please give me a break. Some of you need grace. Lord, I need something, I don't deserve it, but man, I need you to give me something. So what are we going to do? Come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's the only place that you're going to find mercy. It's the only place you're going to find grace. Lord, help that we're not looking to the government for mercy and grace. Yeah, they might be sending you checks right now, but you better believe those checks come with huge strings. Every one of them does. Now, again, if it helps right now, thank the Lord for it. But let me tell you, that is not where your hope is. You might need a job right now, and I hope and pray that the Lord will give that to you. But that job is not going to give you what you think you need. The, the, those, the, whatever it is you think, even, even some of you that are suffering through cancer treatments and, 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 and other kind of medical problems like that, again, I, I'm, not, I'm praying with you that the Lord will touch you and heal you, but please understand that that alone is not what you need. Again, I know that you need healing, but that alone is not what you need because God, rather you could, be, you could find some medical cure to take care of the coronavirus or your cancer or whatever it is, But if you do not have access to the throne room of grace, oh my soul, do not fear him. Do not fear him who can merely take your life. Fear him who can take your body and soul and throw it into hell. That's who to fear. The only place you're going to get the help you need is at the throne of grace. And it's made possible because we have a high priest who knows exactly what you're feeling and then some. I want to encourage you this morning to come boldly into the throne room of God this morning. Now, if y'all just want to turn me off and be done, you can. You sure can. If I'm nothing more than just another tab on your browser, because you want to make sure that you were present, I I won't hold it against you. I promise you I won't. I won't even know. But I'm trying to point out to you that I'm asking you right now that if you do feel any of these feelings, abandonment, rejection, physical pain, any of these things, I'm encouraging you to go right now. 
You don't have to wait for some... Definitely don't wait till we gather. Good gracious. Do it now. You have, the, 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 the path to the throne room of God has been paved by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So go boldly and beg for His mercy and seek His grace and actually get the help you need. That's where you're going to get it. So right now, perfect time to do it is stop what you're doing, close all the other stuff you got opened up, put your phone down, whatever it is you're doing, and say, God, I'm hurting right now, whatever way you're hurting, can you help me please? Beg for his mercy. Some of you that are not believers, you're hearing what I'm saying, and you know in your heart of hearts that you have never trusted in the grace of Jesus Christ, and yet you're feeling some pain and you need some help, but you can't get a hold of God because you have not gotten the throne room open. You're still, you're still talking to walls, thinking that you're doing some religious duty. You're missing the boat, friend. You need to call out to Jesus in faith and say, Lord, I know that you died for me. I know that you've been buried, and I know that you came back to life, and that that's something you did for me. Would you save me, please? And you know what happens when you get saved? The, swing, the doors of heaven swing open, and you can walk boldly into the Father's throne, and you can talk to him and say, Father, I need some help right now. So I want to encourage you, take a minute right now, if you need to turn me down, that's fine. You, it's not about me anymore. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to encourage you to get there. So do whatever you need to do, but get to this place where if you're a Christian and you're in pain, call out to God for mercy and grace. If you're not a Christian, would you call out to Jesus to save you because you need help and you can't get it except through Jesus? Would you call out to him? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.